hey, I'm Stella Rose Gahan, and I'm on Sticky Jazz. The opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Jeremy Hinks and Sticky Jazz Podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else on this planet. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm Jeremy Hinks, the man of a million musical opinions, all of which happen to be correct. This week, I have the Seeker Machines. They're like a space-age shoegazing outfit, and they just released uh, a body of work called uh, The Moth, The Lizard, and The Seeker Machines. This was been this one has been on the dock and in the working phase since uh, about 2010, 2011, and it's finally just been released. It is a fabulous work. So if you've heard Secret Machines, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, well, that's why you're here. So everybody, I'm going to kick this one off with their song off the new record called There's No Starting Over. And let's all sit back and do the sticky jazz.
everybody welcome to sticky jazz i'm jeremy hanks and uh this week i am in well i'm in salt lake like uh most weeks i have uh i have josh and brandon from secret machines josh is in la and brandon is somewhere in vermont and so we're we're crossing the time zones here gentlemen from secret machines thank you for joining us glad to have you here yeah hey thanks for having us yeah so uh, I, I had a fabulous conversation about the Clash and vinyl records with Josh last week, and it was <laughs> it was a great conversation that you missed out on, and that might show up just for the uh, for archival. I don't know a great conversation here. Uh, two two guys talking about great albums, um, but uh, yeah. So you guys have just finally released the moth which is it, it it came up with is i mean i did a lot of reading on this and it was a long time in the making and it was originally going to be called the moth the lizard and the secret machines right now it's just the moth i mean what no it's how, still called oh it's, it's still it's called still, uh, yeah 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 okay because i just got the, the the package sent by your publicist the album was just called the moth i didn't get the whole long oh, they're just no. being they're just being casual yeah we shortened it to that <laughs> you know with all the emails you know we did we felt like we didn't write <laughs> the moth the lizard and the secret machines every time we were referencing the album <laughs> okay i mean it's still though you got chumbawamba and Sinead o'connor still claim the longest album names of all time um Sinead oh, o'connor's yeah Sinead o'connor's was she who dwells which and then it went like on for five paragraphs and then Chumbawamba did Chumbawamba's one was called uh, "The Boy Bands Have Won," and then another five paragraphs of of why they were breaking up, and that was the album name. So, uh, so this one, let's see, uh, you kicked it off 12, 13 years ago, right? This, That's right. This new record, and uh, then it started just. Uh, I, I guess there was recordings and work done on it, and then you put it on the shelf and then went back to it. It was kind of like, I don't know, like Mark Twain described Huck Finn, right? He, he couldn't couldn't get around to finishing it, but when he finally did, it, it sucked his life away and he finished it. But uh, it took him, <laughs> it took it took Mark Twain just about as long to do Huck Finn as you guys did this record. So let's let's talk about this, all right? Well, that makes me feel a little better, too. Yeah. Well, 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 I know you at least read Huck Finn, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, right. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no kid in mischief could get away with not reading Huck Finn. All the, you know, so um, maybe that that's what you guys will compare this to is your your Huck Finn. Um, okay, but uh, what was it about this this record that that put it on pause and you went and did other things and came back to it because. I I got to listen to it and a lot of it still sounded very current and a lot of it was just sounds that were very new to you guys as well and I was like wow this is you know obviously you put a lot of thought into it but uh could you just go into kind of how that all came about and what you were doing around it for so long 
Um, I think we were, my memory is that we were kind of, um, we'd finished with the self-titled record and we had done some touring on it. There had been some kind of uh, problems with the label situation for the self-titled record. And we were, I, I just have this memory of struggling with um, kind of the business component of being in a band. And we just decided that we were going to take matters into our own hands and kind of just set up someplace initially at Phil's house and then a later on a second or third session at a, uh, a rehearsal space in Dallas where we were just going to kind of just stream of consciously set up mics and just record as much as we could. I don't think Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't remember having any like real like agenda, like we're going to make an album. We're going to finish this. We're going to, it was just like therapeutic in a way to just kind of get a bunch of ideas down. That's that's my memory of how it started. Yeah, I think that's right, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I think you know when we got to that point as a band where the business side was was really difficult to deal with. You know, never so, happened before. What are you talking about? Bands have problem with the labels. Yeah, I know. Can you imagine? So, so we we did so unusual. We, yeah, we did what we thought would help us as 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 musicians, which is like let's just get in a room and play music, and then. I think it became easier to record because of Pro Tools and laptops and, and you know, we were able to just record, you know, and just kind of have it there. I, you know, I think I did, we weren't thinking too much of it. We weren't like, hey, this is the next record. Hey, th these are new songs. We were just going back to our roots in terms of like, let's just play music or just vibe out on music or vibe out on a couple of chords and, and kind of be long-winded. There was this, there wasn't a, Hey, let's turn this into a three-minute song, and then just start learning the song and playing the song over and over again. We, we were just letting ourselves kind of get back into soundscapes, um, hanging out, staying up late, playing music and chords and simple, you know, grooves and percussion, just to kind of like get back to what we felt was important. Because um, at the time, the music, the business side was just really kind of like being a bummer. Uh, you, you you wouldn't believe how many bands just said, I hate the label. I hate record companies. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so um, it's it's weird because it's like it's not even I, I mean, for me, it's not even like really hatred. It's just like there's like a really necessary evil component of dealing with that. And it just becomes like uh, the dog wagging the tail after a certain point where you're just like, at least for us, it just felt like we were chasing this stuff based on ideas from people who weren't actually out there doing the work, playing the shows, doing the songs, doing the stuff. And it's just like, everyone's got ideas. And it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a challenging relationship. Oh, it is. I mean, you can't bite the hand that feeds you. Right. But the, at the same time, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it, you, I've, I've heard, I mean, I've read the Hitman. I've read all the books about, I've read so much about the, the record industry, the music industry. And so much of it, how it's changed, even the last 13 years, right? From when you started until now, so much has changed in how it goes. And uh, it's wild. Yeah. 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 And it, it's not just, it's a whole industry. It's not just like, oh, labels suck or whatever. It's like, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the touring side of it. There's all that business management, uh, touring management, booking agents. And then the, the you know, all the venues, there's this, you know, relationships that, those people have with booking agents and so on and so forth. So it just turns into this really complex 
business that you know they have set up and it's like if you don't you know kind of fall in line and do it the way they want you to then you are being a stick in the mud then you are kind of just you know biting the hand that feeds you and it's like it's really easy to be a band that's hard to work with quickly when it's not fair you know when it's like you know you know any band would want to do things a certain way and and if it doesn't fit their you know their formula then you're being difficult you know and sure. so it's hard to balance totally. you know it, it, but you try to you know you try you know we, we at some point we did want to become we know there's a business side of it you know we're not we weren't interested in being jerks so we had to find that balance of being you know professional and trying to get things done but at the same time when you're dealing with art you know you're kind of like exposing yourself while nobody else is you know what i mean you know, you, your whole management team isn't putting their heart on their sleeve, you know, or whatever, but you know, it, it's part of the game, you know. Sure. I mean, well, I mean, the, the whole story about Guns N' Roses Chinese democracy, and they only held on because they knew they're going to make so much money off of Axel making a crap record. Um, <laughs> it was a crap record, by the way, let's face it. And Axel Rose is a prick, you know. So <laughs> uh, I, I, I've met everybody in Guns N' Roses, man. They've all got stories, they got stories galore about all that. So uh let, let's talk about some of the music on this um uh the, your song there there's no starting over uh maybe i maybe it's because i've been listening to a lot of godspeed you black emperor lately because they were just on tour and they were you know they, they've kind of been in my world a lot lately and as josh and i were just talking about swans and that but there i there's a lot of just abstract sound in there that was kind of even more unlike your your typical fare and i liked that but it was like eno was doing some shoegazing of the beatles would probably be the best way to describe oh, that wow. song <laughs> nice i like that yeah you, you, you can yeah. go for that you you can you can take that as a description of that song um <laughs> the like whole album while you're at it so uh let's see the lines i think it's light outside you know this is intense you just needed to rest but it's time to move uh, uh, if you guys remember the primitive radio gods, it sounded like really heavy stuff of theirs. It, 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 I don't mm. remember those guys, but they're, I, I know Chris from that band. Uh, see, but the light, I'm not coming down, I'm not falling for you. I mean, that whole thing was just lyrically was pretty intense, but the sound also had the when you two was in their hiatus in 94 and they did that hold me thrill me kiss me kill me right some of the guitar work and and and, and the, the the background was in that that was just a great showcase piece for the record but it it caught huh. me off guard as just to how much you guys were able to squeeze into one song you know lyrically <laughs> and, and and musically it was like man this whole thing is pretty monstrous man talk about there, there there's no starting over give, give me a bit on that fellas I see a smirk on Josh's face, like, oh yeah, that was a okay. So go ahead. Um it's the I think the the some of that stuff started so like these were all like little pieces and little segments that we were uh just kind of writing off the top of our heads. And I think there's no starting over and you want it worse. And there might be one yeah, other we'll get one. There, I, I had that on the on the list too. So yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, right. but 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 those but those two songs were initially the ones I think Phil kind of went through the initial uh, 
stuff we'd put down and kind of sort of put together uh an arrangement like a loose arrangement or at least a starting point of the arrangement and sent it back to me and then we kind of just it was just like this weird because i think at that point josh you were still we were both living in beacon phil was in um chicago and so we were doing stuff by correspondence a little bit too and so i think we walked away from the, the some of these recording sessions or the ones at phil's house and he had kind of assembled these arrangements and then and that was kind of the leaping off point the setting the tone for the record and like uh there's no starting over was the beginning of that okay so there there was starting there's just no starting over was the <laughs> ah, bad journalist joke okay um so yeah, the, wait so there so we're saying there was kind of like no real focus to it it just was Hi, I'm 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 throwing this in, and it feels good with what you did, or yeah, exactly. I think you know it's weird to to make a record like this, and then you kind of you stumble upon other bands that sort of did the same thing. You know, like it's just this concept of like you're just playing music, maybe untraditional. Like I wasn't on a drum kit initially; it was just like me on a on a floor tom, kind of doing beats, and and you just record like an hour or 40 minutes worth of just us doing one long thing and then somebody goes back and says oh harry here's these five minutes where it's something's you know something's happening here and then we just start adding to it uh-huh you know? and then and then at some point it turns into like oh that's a cool little soundscape in, in instrumental thing and then oh well let me add a drum beat or let me add this and then the most amazing thing was when Brandon was like, man, I think I can sing on this, which blew my mind because I just thought it was going to be one of those things that we were doing that weren't going to turn into music. Like we never, we never keep, like, it was never like, okay, Brandon, you got to you got to sing now. It was more like, hey, you know, if it's there, cool. If it's not, you know, it's not. And up to a certain point, I was like, well, you know, he's not singing on it so i assumed it would be instrumental and then so when he did do the yeah once he started singing i think it just took it to another level of experimentation you know because you know it's one thing it's kind of like you know i read about like talk talk when they were doing what was it uh you know the spirit, spirit of, of eating you know where it's like what makes it really that album really kind of like amazing is that there's lyrics and vocals on it you know but they sort of started the same way they're just kind of recording and seeing where it would go and stuff and and that's a hard thing to do you know in the studio but we I think we had the luxury of like we were just doing it on our own so there was no pressure to have to do anything and I think that's what helped it kind of blossom in the way it did were you surprised when he started singing you're like oh wow there's some there's something happening on this one this is becoming like a yeah, I mean, I think we all were. We all were. So <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> cool. I think it's something specific, something specific to that one. And then maybe one other one was because Phil had kind of cut cut up the like, as Josh was saying, the improvisational parts and put them into like a like a five minute arrangement. You know, of course, he would have some idea of like, oh, well, this might be a verse. This might be a chorus or whatever. And somehow every every time we did this and every time, at least with the ones that Phil cut up initially, I managed to sing where I where he didn't think I was gonna sing and left didn't sing where he thought I would sing. So it was like a it's fun in that way because I don't think I, I didn't have any preconceived notion about it. 
but you know, once you start working on something, you're like, I could kind of envision this or that. And then it was all kind of upset everything at every point, which is, is nice. Oh yeah. I mean, the d- disruptive situations always turn out r- really useful at times. I, I get that. But totally. Also to remember, not, not that I'm a Bee Gees fan. I blame them for ca- having killed disco. Um, like I, I get in arguments with disco musicians saying that that spirits having flown record was what brought an end to the life of disco music. But, uh, oh, but uh, I think was it was it no? It was Robin Gibb actually said first thing you do when you walk into the studio is push record, and and then you fight, then you do whatever, but you make sure it's all being recorded <laughs> because That's you so true. If, if you miss that. Even if if you're fighting, but you missed that one good hook, it, you you might not be able. To, the, 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 your your ability to go and play it back and go, yeah, but that was good. Okay, then we can work with that. You know, so it sounds like you had that luxury and you weren't working on reel to reel and one inch masters that costed so much, like like it used to be, right? You know, yeah. so you just yeah yeah we have storage space on a on a laptop. Let's go. You know, totally. Um, that reminds me of that um that felonious monk straight no chaser that film where he's like um he walks in the studio takes his jacket off sits down at the piano the 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 trio's there with him he starts to play they play they do the piece he gets up puts his jacket back on and the engineer goes okay that was a that was a good run through and he's like what are you talking about run through <laughs> like that was it that was the take. that's it that's and all you're getting man <laughs> <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? I, w- I mean, gosh, that probably, yeah, that's a nightmare material right there. Oh, but, an engineer. It, but it, but it happens for bands too. Like, um, oh, uh, yeah. what, like, like, like one guy, he's really funny. You, you know, Tim Booth and James, right? Um, sure. He, he was talking about, it's like, and we were flying back and I'm like, I, I need, I, I got, I got, I got the, these lyrics, man. I got these lyrics. He's like, I'm on a flight and I'm like going, I need something to write these like quick before I forget this, you know, cause if I don't get this down now, I'm not going to be able to use it later. And, you know, as, oh as, God, as, as a writer, forever. as a writer that happens, you know, and, um, I, I knew one guy was a guitarist and he was the same way and he said you know the the best thing in the whole world was he could just sit there on his iphone and go okay wait court here g f okay <laughs> he said the same thing like he said i would be dead because i can't carry my guitar around but i can at least play this sort of guitaring sound on my phone just to capture this these moments you know oh yeah like the notes app the voice notes the voice memo is like lifesaver yeah so it sounds like you guys are like that it sounds like uh oh yeah you 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 don't go looking for it, but you, you just make sure when it's there, it's there. Um, totally, so you can capture it. That song, the last one out, was that one was gorgeous. Um, now I know it's going to sound really strange, but it sounded the opening of it sounded like Hollow Hills by Bauhaus. The beginning of oh, it, nice. I was wow. like, oh yeah. wow, that's some Bauhaus almost. That's like Hollow Hills there. And it's a really good orchestral work. But then nice. that just turned into a jam of you guys playing really well off each other. Um, and then and then I, I hate it. May, again, maybe of, of my Godspeed, you Black Emperor binge. But you guys really played well off of that. But it, it sounded all of a sudden like you had some Robin Guthrie and Cocteau twins in the jam as well. Right? Oh, amazing. Yeah. And... 
so Godspeed, you Black Emperor, Bahas Cocteau twins, and of course his secret machine signature all on top of that. But I felt what you were getting at. Right. That was a very feeling piece. And I I was like, wow, they didn't say a word. They just cranked it out. And it was one of those that you just feel a thousand different things because of where the tones go and all of that. But that was so cool. And again, just maybe because of what I've been binging on lately, it just seemed a perfect piece. I, I will have to raise my hand. I'm the kid in the front row saying that is my favorite secret machine song ever now that's amazing wow now, now that just came up i was like not that i don't love all the singing and all the other work you guys do right but that one was like just so powerful and so great and i guess that was one where maybe did you just jam and not have an idea of singing or what what was the what was the well, like josh was well like josh was saying it was never none of these things were like and i'm gonna sing on this one and this one and this one it was just like if I heard something, I would do it. And if I didn't, I didn't. And it was kind of true to the point of even within a song, like I didn't think about verse, chorus, post-chorus, whatever, middle eight. It was just more like, do I hear a melody in this section or not? And then that was it. It was just, it was kind of freedom in that sense of that. To me, that song just sounded finished when I heard the music. And it was just like, you know, and especially as the mix developed, it just didn't, it just never needed anything. It's like, I just feel like that would be like something extra, like some, you know, what do they call it? Uh, gilding the lily. <laughs> well, so was it just a feeling piece? Like, I just want to feel this and that's why we're doing this. I mean, that's not the whole album. I think it, <laughs> okay. It was just like, we, it was like we felt it and that's what we did. It wasn't, it didn't. It didn't, it, none of this stuff originated from like a preconceived notion, I guess is what we're trying to say. Okay. So it was very based on, oh, this feels good, feels good. I'm not trying to make a point, not trying to say anything really. I'm just going to feel this one. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like um, one of those things like it, you, it's done when you, when it's like, you know it when it's done. Mm -hmm. And it's like, to me, it was just like, it sounded done. And we all agreed. I mean, if somebody would have been like, man, no, I think I need something else there. Then we would have talked about it. But we just agreed it's like no it's that's it yeah. so if somebody said hey i got a lyric for that no no get out of here no not this one <laughs> no 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 I, mean, I, think I think in this in this recording session specifically we were like all anybody who had an idea you did the idea it wasn't there was no like limitations or okay yeah and i think it helped that we're it wasn't like we were trying to do something we had never done before you know we you know up at, at that point we were already huge fans of like, you know, Brian Eno, ambient music, Noi, Terry Riley, you know, and, and we were, we, it wasn't like, let's do something we've never done before. It was literally like, let's get back to the stuff we do like, which is like, you know, getting in a room and doing experimental music. Um, not because we want to do experimental music, but because it's fun to do for us. You know, some people, some bands aren't into it. You know what I mean? Some bands can't get in a room and just experiment. Um, and it's just something that we like to do. And it, we felt like it was a good thing for us to do. And it was fun to do, um, you know, and, and like I said, it's not 
for every band um, because they're not coming from that area. They're not Spaceman 3 fans or Spiritualized fans. They know some people. I love Spiritualized know. and Interpol right. and yeah, all, yeah. So for us, it was like a, a, a matter of getting back to that concept of pushing music, you know, to the, these weird boundaries, you know. Like when we first got together, I remember we went, we were in Chicago in 2000 and uh, we saw a solo wit uh, uh, exhibition in Chicago, I think. Was that right, Brandon? Something like that. And that influenced yeah. us. Yeah. You know, so it was more like we're this band that was always wanting to do stuff like that where it was like hey let's just give back to this experimental nature that is already in us that we like to do and then you know we were able to kind of keep it going with the with recording it i think you know i had it not been for pro tools i mean it would have just been this moment in time of three guys just hanging out playing weird music you know and having a good time reconnecting um and it turned into something uh, that now it's been called the moth. <laughs> the, the moth. Um, so the idea of last one out was to go back to just the the space cosmic rock sounding, or it wasn't the idea; it just happened. Which it sounded like that was just, hey, we enjoy feeling that. Or that that's um, okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, let's see the song, the answer. Um. That was that I really liked that one. That one felt like a, a more I visualized a more industrial version off of the Sons of Anarchy. Like if if there would be a, a more <laughs> industrial mecha version of Sons of Anarchy, right? I would that would have fit in there. Um, That's funny. I like it. <laughs> but let, let's see. Uh, I, let me again lyrics. Let me see if I got the lyrics right. Uh, once your heaven's king is overthrown, when the time comes, found in paradise, another grave, maybe someday. Uh, what was the next line after that? I couldn't get that. But then you had a, a an almost Peter Hook bass line in there, a Peter Hook sounding line in there. You know, like uh, Josh and I talked yeah. about New Order. Um, what was that one going around? What was the the point? Once your heaven's king is overthrown. When the time comes, found paradise in another. Well, I mean, those are some pretty like out there lyrics. Also, kind of within like again, I saw the whole Sons of Anarchy thing as a modern day biker version of Hamlet or whatever. But uh, so maybe that was that where I, I kind yeah. of felt it going. But talk about the well, yeah, I, I dissect things. I try and see okay, who's stealing from who in this movie, kind of thing. So um, that's what I do with everything. So, but talk about that one, please. Great lyrics and just a fabulous again that Peter Hook bass line was like, ooh, wow, killed it there, man. But talk about that song if you guys could. Um, we started out, we were kind of jamming on a, a song by another artist that we won't name. Um, and we just had this kind of like groove that kind of came about building around it. And um I remember having a lot of discussion, I think with Phil specifically about like him having trepidation about the fact that this might be a uh, identifiable as like another song, but it was just kind of like, it's almost like that little segment of this other riff from this other song was like the little kernel of sand. And, and then we kind of just made the oyster, the pearl around it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think lyrically it was just, um, I mean, sometimes 
I think about if I was going to, if like mythology hadn't been invented or if there was a, some kind of like science fiction sort of belief structure. And this is kind of like a, a roadmap to kind of like a sci-fi, um, sci-fi Wicca, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like a kind of like a, a, a future hippie post-industrial post-apocalyptic belief system. So a, a slightly Mecca version of the Sons of Anarchy. All right. Okay. <laughs> I think exactly. In Hamlet, throw that in there too. Sure. Yes. Yes. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember, you know, the, the wanting, there was a particular song that I wanted to, you know, we want, I wanted to try to learn to do, but we were also in a different headspace. So we, you know, sitting down to learn a cover is work unto itself. Right. And so we never got past just kind of like quasi just figuring out this little part of the song and then it just morphed into this other thing that i think um ended up being in my opinion like a, a, even bigger you know what i mean like it, it, it was more satisfying for it to take us somewhere new and unknown you know i mean it's always fun to to to, to learn a song and because you know as a as a band as songwriters you can you know you can learn something you know you know about how to put a song together how this particular artist did it but we stopped short like we only had it be, you know in, uh, inspire us to just either be slightly lazy but at the same time be slightly experimental <laughs> you know what i mean so we were able to just go somewhere completely different and new and um it's actually every time I hear it, you know, I I, I think of, of that time, you know, of, of the way, you know, it, it came out of the simple idea, and then it just turned to this, and then with the lyrics, obviously, it's like I feel like it's, it it took it even further into outer space. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, it. Uh, but some of the best songs are written by inspirations of other people's work. Like Peter Murphy wrote that song "Indigo Eyes" about a, a painting. Mm. He he was in Belgium. Uh, at an art gallery in Belgium and he was looking at a painting about some guy looking out over a valley and he had these gray indigo blue eyes and he was like mm. wow that's a cool painting and he wrote the whole story and song around that right just like because you know they just I just saw this really gnarly painting and it, it was so beautiful what it I and I, I like well what's he thinking what's going on there and sounds like that's what you guys did you, you wrote a great space opera around uh around a guitar riff or something like that that's cool totally yeah um and, and obviously new order fans so i already know that because josh and i talked about that so i, I already Absolutely. know you guys are new Order fans um yeah. josh and i talked about side two of combat rock for about probably 20 minutes <laughs> a lot. we're like oh my gosh that is such a not like and just every little piece of that because that was such a great record um so I, I'm going to let this out. I'm an old school Tripping Daisy fan. And I had seen them probably a dozen times in the 90s. And okay. The last gig I saw was at uh, the Groovy Mule up in Denton. And okay. <laughs> I, I don't think you were in at that point, right, Brandon? In uh, late 99, in about March of 99. I don't think you were in at that point, right? Benjamin would have been in it. Yeah, I know Benjamin was in. But uh, have you guys I, played? I, I only I only played with them in a few years ago, after like in their reunion one like one little reunion tour is the only time I played with them. Yeah, 
So did you ever go to see him out there at like Groovy Mule or whatever? Um, love that club. Uh, th- there was a, a Dallas band called Dooms UK opening for him, which, which if you saw it in writing, it was Doom Suck. And they... Yeah, John, I know John Freeman. Yeah, totally. Yeah, those, oh, those, those, uh, those are all our people. Oh, those guys were hilarious. They, they like come out and played songs like... Well, they wore masks and they did covers of Journey, Don't Stop Believing," And they were yep. just, they were just a novelty act, right? Really funny. But they had this one song called, and he said, this is a song about artificial insemination. It's called Heather Has Two Mommies. I was like, what the, <laughs> you know, and they were really great. They were really fun. But I was, totally. I was, they, I loved Tripping Daisy and they were, they're fantastic. Think, and it was, I think a Tripping, I think a Tripping Daisy show might have been one of the first times that Josh and I ever met because um, I played in a band, me and Benjamin and another guy, Joe Butcher, played in a band called UFOFU and Josh played in a band called Comet and Tripping Daisy held a show in yeah. Fort Worth and um, both of what our bands was were in that? The, I remember hearing about Comet, I think, when I lived down there. I don't think I ever saw them, but yeah, yeah, this would have been 94. Five or six or something. Oh yeah, like no, I, I I I lived in Irving from uh, January, well, Christmas of '98 until uh, October you of '99. You just missed. It. You know what? Yeah, I would have been. Was that, you know what it was? I think it might have been when the Bronco Bowl was reopened. Yeah, exactly. It was the Bronco Bowl reopening party. Yeah, holy cow! That is when we. It was weird because all you guys were friends, like Chip and Daisy. And, uh, UFO. Well, UFO. My my band had been on tour. We, like we were like one of Tripping Daisy's opening bands that they would take on tour. So we were just like always out with them around that time. They did, had, like, wait, a few did, bands did that you they come up and out. play with them in Salt Lake back in about ninety nine, earlier in ninety nine before I moved down to Dallas, or uh, earlier in ninety eight actually? Um, I think UFO. If you broke up, in well, maybe. I mean, let's. You know who knows. <laughs> so I just it's very possible, I, but I, more than likely, all three of us have probably been at 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 a show at Deep Ellum or somewhere when I was living down there. That's for probably. sure. Absolutely familiar. Absolutely. But you know what? You know what's even more interesting to tie it all back together is that when we somehow we ended up in Dallas, uh, and so when when we stayed in Dallas and then the Trip and Daisy guys let us use their rehearsal space to continue working on the moth sessions. So yeah, that's that's where we finished that stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it all came, somehow it's weird. Yeah, you know, we can, somehow Trip and Daisy does, if you're in, in Dallas or you're a Dallas band, Trip and Daisy will somehow be involved. In- yes, yeah, that's, <laughs> it was for sure. Um, I was, uh, well, there was a band, just a guy named Taylor Cannon, uh, and he was out playing on, like, touring with this Yellow Card Festival back in, uh, whatever, like, 05, I think. Yeah, it was 05 or 06, and they came through Columbus, Ohio, where, where I was living at the time, and they, they stayed at, uh, I, I put them up at a friend's place, and we we're all hanging out talking, and uh, I was like, what about Tripping Daisy, man? They're like, you know, they've all switched into this like really joyous, happy, go lucky, hippie, love trip world, man. And uh, and then he said, I, I think they're doing this secret machines thing. I thought I think that's what they're getting into now. And that was where I went and uh, I had already heard uh you guys had done the new order remixes, right? 
was the okay, yeah. that was in about oh yeah. five, right? So I so I, I remember going, right. okay, yeah, I know the name Secret Machines, and then that was after they had told me that that was where it had all kind of morphed to, and that was believe it or not, just some guy from Dallas rolling through saying, oh yeah, that's where these guys are now. That was how I actually got into Secret Machines. Was that? Was, oh, that's crazy. And I, I, went, I was like, wait, I know that. I know they did that that new order business. So let's go and check it out. And that was where I, you know, picked up on it. Um, so it's it's been one of those like, I don't know. It's it's one of those bands that I can't really showcase to my kids because they're all into Taylor Swift and you know. But they'll they'll get like. You wouldn't believe what it took to get my daughters to go and see Bohemian Rhapsody. But now they're Queen fans. And so I'm like, okay, now you guys just go do some epic biographical movie and then my daughters will like you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, so you guys toured with Kings of Leon, right? I mean, you've played a lot of, you've toured with a lot of great people, but Kings of Leon and Interpol, who else have you guys hit the road with? Oh, man. Um, Foo Fighters. You two, uh, Ian Brown, spiritualized. Yep. Okay, seeing you guys as spiritualized um, would be a that'd be a hell of a show. Yeah, that was just yeah, those it, fun it would shows. be that would be a real just a continual, uh, that would be just a real continual vibe of like okay, start to finish, it's all just this whole headspace of where you got to be, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, there's a few more. Yeah. Well, I I can't like I can't stand Kings of Leon. I oh my gosh, I their vocals just sound like nails on a chalkboard, you know. And I was like, ouch. But then, like, I don't know. Like, my thing is, is um, I've seen you two forty six times, and out of almost all but maybe five of those times, you two had really shitty bands opening for them. <laughs> and i mean they just had bands that i didn't like but i was like oh that would have been great seeing you guys with you too now that would have been a hell of a night yeah, but it, you guys weren't ever on the ticket i mean florence in the machine and stereophonics were great you know but i mean who doesn't love florence in the machine you, right didn't, but, the, didn't the pixies open up for him on the uh, tongue baby tour? and i saw that show yeah, right I did and, <laughs> and that was actually really good and then they had Primus and the Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy and that for, for several shows that I saw later on that tour. And I was like, man, Disposable Heroes are crap. I really had a hard time with Primus. It took me a long... <laughs> I had to grow into liking Primus. It took me till long after they toured with you 2 to like Primus. But I um, uh, would have loved to have seen them with the Killers, you know. But no, I got on there where they had Damian Marley, which was... He did his songs, he did his dad's songs, and he did them very badly, you know. Mm. And uh, so I'm like, come on, guys, when are you going to get someone good? And they, they had a handful that were okay, but then they got Florence in the Machine. And maybe it's just my love of six-foot-tall redheads, but um, that was Florence in the <laughs> Machine, man. They were fabulous for you two to open for them. And then, but, mm. but uh, man, to see you guys, that would have been a hell of a show. It really would have. I don't mean to just rip on other bands, but... I'm a journalist, and I, I have I have a lot of opinions about things, you know. So. Yeah, I like it. You know, but what I, the thing is is that let's say you don't like a band, right? If you tour with a band, 
what will happen is by the end of the tour, you'll be best friends and then you'll you'll feel like a complete asshole for not liking their band. That's the thing with music and, and, and touring is that at some point you realize that they're the coolest dudes. Like the Kings of Leon, I, they're, I don't really listen to their music too much, but man, I had a blast hanging out with those guys. You know what I'm saying? So that's the, the weird thing about music and touring is that you, you get hooked up with these bands you know nothing about. Maybe you're not the biggest fan, but by the end of the tour, you're just like, man, you're a big fan. You love you love hanging out with them, and makes you know what I mean. It's like that weird thing. That's why um, it's sometimes better to tour with bands you don't know because then it'll just lead to just new experiences. You know, instead of just always touring with the same bands and the same people. Totally. Music. You know, it's good. That's why sometimes it's cool to see those those festivals where it's like. Bauhaus and then it's Cindy Lauper and just like weird bands put together Devo and you know it's because I think you can you can start putting like having a different experience I mean it's cool to go to a metal you know show and there's like three metal bands and you'll love all three metal bands that's cool too <laughs> nothing wrong with that but I think you can you can do both both you know to a certain extent but you see I I can say to you guys like all right um you guys are the ones who you'd go out, you see the world, you tour, you have those experiences, right? Like, I love traveling, I love going to concerts, and there's a lot in the experience that you just learn about yourself and other people going out there and 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 like that, you know. Um, I I for instance, I I met, I was backstage at U two once, and Zach Delaroche was there, and I was like, man. If if he didn't have bouncers there, I'd just go and kick his ass because he was such a prick to everybody. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tom Morello was the neat Tom Morello, man. That guy is, you know, everybody loves Tom Morello. He gets on with everybody very chill. And he's like, Tom Morello's like, biggest YouTube fan in the world, man. I can't believe it. Like Edge and I were sitting back there geeking out on pedal boards, you know, and like that's that's what's funny about something like that, you know, because I guess you have your individual experiences. I I've met all the guys in Rage Against the Machine. They were great guys. I just I didn't like Zach. I didn't like his music. And then there I thought, wow, what a real jerk, you know. But same thing as I might despise Guns and Roses. But man, I've met everybody in that band, and every one of them were just real champs, you know. They were huh. really great guys to talk to. I like, you know, you you guys are actually really neat people. I just can't listen to Axel, you know, and what he calls seeing singing, you know. Um <laughs> uh so let's see that glastonbury performance in 05 that you guys performed did right um that's up on the it's, it's up on youtube and i love going back to that i know it was kind of like your inaugural world performance right there that glastonbury show you guys did but yeah. you guys had all been in other bands before but how was that playing something so big i mean this glastonbury you know and you killed it that night. I mean, I think to show the world, like, hi, here's here we are. We're this band. Yes, we're all veterans from other experiences. But that was a very killer show there. Could you guys remember that? Tell me about that experience. Where are you thinking? I can't believe we're here. Uh, talk about that. Because, you know, you owned it that night. Yeah, I think I remember it just being in awe of the spectacle of like the fact of where you know because there's so much weird stuff going on at glastonbury like just like what a weird collection of 
people and i mean there's people that go to that and don't even go see the bands they just go do <laughs> weird stuff you know what i mean it's like and just the legacy of it, it was pretty uh yeah it was a pretty special night i remember that very well i i remember i hardly remember the show itself but i remember afterwards we went walking around like um, not all night but it seemed like it was late through the night and just yeah it was I remember that more like seeing it being at Glastonbury and then seeing weird stuff going on and there's music tents and people it was just like it was the experience was pretty pretty amazing you know something that obviously doesn't exist I think in the in the U.S. Uh, on that kind of level you know but it was like, yeah, I don't remember the show, but I remember hanging out afterwards and being at Glastonbury. And being, okay. You know, just being one of the punters, being one of the people in the crowd, just walking around and enjoying the scene. And See, the, remember- close, the, the close thing we had was like, I went Lollapalooza one year. And uh, the next year uh, or later that fall, I went and saw the WOMAD Festival with Peter Gabriel. And, oh, yeah, I remember that. And they had... I, I mean, I drove to Denver because Jaw Wobble was supposed to be on the ticket. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go see Sinead O'Connor and Peter Gabriel and Jaw Wobble. Jaw Wobble got rotated out that night. But uh, I remember walking around. I was in the village, like you're saying, right? And just like, here's a dancing thing. Here's a painting thing. Here's poetry readings. Here's all this. And it was raining. And I'm like, oh, but... I'm looking at the the the, the schedule. I'm like, oh, but Ofra Haas is playing over there, but I want to hear this poetry. I gotta go see Ofra Haas, right? You know, I had serious FOMO at that. But that that's oh I guess God, that's yeah. I guess that's the idea of something that big that you 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 can't see or do it all, you know. Totally. Um, yeah, it's like that at those festivals. But uh that was your inaugural performance. That was something you guys I mean, that was what you showed the world, what you guys were ready to do. And I I, I still love going back to that and just turning it on and jamming and you know, I, I, I always want what were you thinking taking that stage? Like, here we are, this is the big one, you know. And of course you went on to oh, tour with you two and everybody else, but we had our we had our crew at that time was um they were British and so even the, the stuff that we didn't know, the stuff that we were unaware of, the kind of, we kind of got filled in. So I think some of the mythology and the kind of history of, uh, you know, that festival specifically, we were kind of hyped just because it just be, it was, it was, you know, we knew what we were doing. We knew, we knew the significance of it and maybe even, maybe it got even made a little bit bigger of a deal by the people that we were working with. <laughs> but yeah, we were feeling it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you you guys were riding high. You guys are doing fabulous that night. So I yeah. just yeah. I mean, I, I've seen some of those. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, it, it's uh, it, yeah, we were on fire. <laughs> hey, I, yeah. hey, I hate to do this, but I've got to go to my six year old niece's birthday party, and I got to okay. jump off. Can I just ask real quick if you guys want to talk about first wave down real quick? You want to close it out with that first wave down? Um. If if you remember the song, or want to give me a little bit about that, and I'll I I will want to play us out with that if that's okay. Oh, it's called First Wave Intact. Sorry, and, for, um, First Wave Intact. Yes, okay, First Wave Intact. Yeah, I wonder when they're coming back. Uh, as leaves from modern trees rest on walls, the rest is that. I mean, like the like what was, I, like I went back to the Kate Bush to, uh, when she was doing the the coming of Arthur thing, right? That was kind of where I oh, was wow. feeling lyrically. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm throwing Kate Bush in there. Yeah, I hope you appreciate that. 
Uh, but talk about, yeah, first wave intact, if you could. Give me a little bit about that, and we'll close out with that. Um, we were working on that song early, like in, I think I remember playing in that, playing that groove in our, we were living together in a loft in Williamsburg in 2000. And yeah, I think maybe right around late 2000, early 2001, we just started playing this riff and this groove. And that's where it started from. I remember having a weird moment where I was hearing the beat in a different, like shifted by one beat off, like, Sometimes you hear like one, two, three, four, but like sometimes it sounds like two, three, four, one. You know what I mean? Where it's like it's shifted. And yeah. but Josh and I having like real intense conversations about how to accomplish that. And then we I think what we ended up with was we'd do the first half of the song this way and the second half of the song the other way, just because I felt like they were both good and we couldn't decide which one to do. And so the that's the the beat switching in the middle is from just from like a why not both kind of conversation we had. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I remember putting that song together, having that conversations with Brandon, but since he's not a drummer, it, it, it turned into a complicated conversation, but it's a simple solution. You know what I mean? Like he, he like, like the way he just explained it, it sounds complicated, but it was just like, oh, instead of doing the kick on one, do the snare on one or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, oh, just, yeah. um, and once I figured that out, it was easy you know what I mean like oh yeah okay you know but it was in hindsight I, I remember it, at the time it was like what are you talking about <laughs> you know well I mean? right but it's well, easier we, to we, change we, it's <laughs> it's easier to change the, the 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 key or the tune that you're in the the beat and the rhythm are, are, are going to be different to switch around so yeah but, but especially once you hear it a certain way once you locked in your brain a certain way it is almost impossible to switch it and so it takes a lot of like but I don't hear it that, you know, it just sounds off. And so you have to like recondition yourself to the the weirdness of it. And yeah, but I'm glad I mean, we did that. <laughs> I mean, I think it's something that people don't even notice in that song. There's a point where it, it switches, you know, like it just flips, the beat flips from how it's being emphasized. And the reason we did that was because we, you know, it's a long song. We had the luxury of like, oh, we don't have to pick one way or the other because it's not a three minute song, you know, it's like, in fact, three minutes in, you know, that's when it switches and it gave the song this kind of like this, now this part two level, like it was able to like breathe in a different way. And we both got to enjoy doing it the way we felt was right. Like, it's almost like this song yeah. <laughs> for everybody to get what they want. There's no compromise because it's like, man, you got three minutes your way, three minutes my way. And then there's this crazy outro. So um, the song really came together and I think you know and it goes like it goes back to what we were talking about earlier you know this idea of, of music as an experiment uh, being open to experimentation and trying different things um you know we were always doing that you know we were always trying to you know uh, maybe push the boundaries of what we thought a good rock song could do um with the idea of like uh you know experimentation sprinkled all over it well, even the lyrics, though, uh, no dreams, no curse. Could we make things even worse? Don't mean if it's right, but it makes you see the I mean, th this is not your typical fair three minutes and 25 second pop song. Let's face it. You're you know, this is um, first wave intact. I, I mean, obviously, there's several stories going on here. Uh, 
not just the music, yeah, we but, were... but lyrically, it's, you know, but, okay, in a loft in Williamsburg, Virginia in 2001. All right. Uh, Williamsburg, New York. Oh, Williamsburg, New York. Okay. Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. So, well, actually, it's more like Bushwick, but they were calling it East Williamsburg. That's how that's how they get you to pay extra. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it was like, you know, it was post 9-11 when I was, I think by the time I was writing the lyrics, I remember reading a lot of, at the time, I was really into like, I don't know, like pre-enlightenment poetry, like Blake and stuff like that, kind of like reading and th thinking about the way he kind of told stories and really short and kind of like basically you just t take a sentence you'd have a paragraph and you take one sentence out of that paragraph is kind of the idea of just like or you're telling the story with as minimal amount of information as possible which i think is fun because it's a nine minute song and there's only about like one paragraph worth of lyrics um, and and there's, there's yeah. all the other room to make you think about it then yeah. exactly totally <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, guys, thank you, Brandon. I, I understand you need to cut out. Thank you for your time. Josh, good to see you again. Yep. Um, I, I hope to uh, catch you guys. I actually went back and looked. I was teaching that night when you guys played here. And so I, hmm. I couldn't book any shows or anything when you guys came through town. So yeah, uh, that was what, but I, I don't even know if, if I'd known, I'd have truly, I'm like, there's something weird that I didn't know you guys were rolling through because I would have killed Elvis twice to see you. Um, uh Bummer. I know, terrible to say that to Elvis, right? Um, so, uh, all right, guys, this is Josh and Brandon from Secret Machines, and uh, the new work is called. Let's see, let's let's get it out. It is uh, as is the whole title is the Moth, the Lizard, and the Secret Machines, and uh, it. It, it was many years in the making, and it is worth all that we've waited for. So. Go out and give that a spin. We got record store day next week. There's a print of it out there, right? It will be. It's coming. It will be. Yeah. Okay. Well, go look for that, everybody. And thank you, Josh and Brandon and uh, everybody else. Take care. Be good to each other. And let music do awesome in your lives. And thank you, Brandon and Josh, for your time, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Let us just zone out and just be bombarded with the sounds here uh, from the new Secret Machines album. This is their song, the last one out. And uh, everybody, please take care and uh, have a good week. Again, go buy this record. Special thanks to Barry Anders of Shriekback for letting us use the theme and title for Sticky Jazz.
This episode is dedicated to the memory of Harry Belafonte, uh, the musician, actor, and activist. You would have known him most likely for the song Deo, the Banana Boat song in Beetlejuice, but he was did so much more over the years. Uh, look up the, just type in Harry Belafonte on the Muppets, and uh, he did a song about uh, turning the world around. Uh, learned that on a trip from Africa, where they brought in all these great African icons and spirits and puppets, and that was probably one of the most awesome episodes of The Muppets that ever happened.
So rest in peace, Harry, and uh, let's turn the world around.